I was thinking this week, um, remembering a moment in my life, I couldn't have been more than four years old, and we had this small hallway in our house, but it was unique because it had five doors, you know, just a little bitty hallway, and had a closet and four doors leading to other rooms. It's hardly any walls. And uh, I remember when I was uh, kind of walking through the living room, looked up, my dad was painting. And so, you know, if you've ever painted with a four-year-old, you know <laughs> there's got to be some rules, right? So I come walking in, and my dad says, Now, son, do not step in the paint roller pan. Right? No-brainer. Can I watch? Yes, you can watch. Do not step in the paint roller pan. And so I'm there. You know, every child wants to kind of hang around and see what their mom and dad are doing. And I'm there. And I don't remember ever seeing a paint roller before. And it had that nap and, the, you know, that big um, creamy paint in that pan. And he would, you know, roll it in there. And it would soak up that paint. And it was so pretty. He would roll it up the wall. And I think he was maybe even rolling the ceiling. And you'd hear that thing cut back and forth. And uh, that new, fresh, beautiful paint would just roll over that old, ugly, you know, old, worn-out paint. And, man, I mean, it was like magic. And I remember standing there. I was mesmerized by the sound and, you know, the smell and how everything was happening. And, and so the room was so small, my dad would shift. To, and then, you know, I'd shift with him, you know, just so I could look. He'd shift, and then I'd shift. Then he'd shift, then I'd shift. And all of a sudden, I, I, I was so mesmerized. I, was going, I looked down, and I was standing in the paint pan. <laughs> I'm talking about both feet, like standing straight in it. And I panicked. I thought, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because he, like, he only told me one thing, like one thing. You know, you had one job. I had one job, and I couldn't do my one job. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I remembered, there's some old rags in the utility room. And if I could just make it over there, I can clean it off and come back, and he won't know what happened. So I took off running through the living room, through the kitchen, round the corner into the utility room, and I'm there just scrubbing the bottom of my feet, trying to get this paint off my feet. And all of a sudden, this shadow appeared. I'm looking up, the lights block, and there's my dad. And I was just shocked. I was like, oh, no, oh, no. And I thought, how did you find me? <laughs> like, how would you ever know where I was? How did, I was a, how did, how did you find me? He said, well, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm sorry. I'm just getting this paint off my feet. So, because you told me not to, not to. And he said, he took my shoes off. He said, come here. And he flew me like a little airplane, you know, back. And I saw all these white shoe prints. In the kitchen, in the living room, all the way back to the hallway. And for some reason, I thought, he's going to kill me. He's absolutely going to kill me. And for some reason, he had mercy on me that day. But I did learn a few things. It's okay to do stupid things. It's not okay not to learn, to learn from them. So here's what I learned that day. I learned that you shouldn't step in paint. I'm not claiming this is going to be overwhelming, okay? I'm just telling you what I learned. I learned not to step in paint. I also learned if you do step in paint, you shouldn't run. Because that, you know, that doesn't work. Now, I'm not saying I've never stepped in paint again. I've never stepped in paint and ran again. I can tell you that. I've also learned if you do run, somebody is going to find out. And I also learned 
at four years old that it's human nature for you and I to hide and to cover up and to, and to try to deceive and misdirect from what we've done. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We're talking about keeping our word. Okay? We've been in this series. This is our third week. We called it Divine Misunderstandings because Jesus made six statements, or rather he took six statements that had already been made in the Old Testament, and he said, look, this is what you heard, but now let me explain to you what the heart is behind it. In other words, this is what you heard, but, but here's what I want to tell you about it. And here's what those misunderstandings have been about. Uh, murder, adultery, we covered those, divorce, Breaking our word is today, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Love your, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Now, I just want you to know when this series is over, we're going to do a series on something like, I don't know, you know, YouTube bloopers or laughter or something, because this has been very heavy, but that's how Jesus is, isn't he? He gets underneath the skin of the issue right down to the heart. And so we've been looking at those statements. So what is the heart behind this statement um, keep your word. Look at, look at it with me, Matthew 5.33. Again, you've heard it said, so here's the statement, to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. That's what you heard. But I tell you, so let me, let me explain what the heart behind that truth was. Do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot, even, you cannot make even one hair white or black. That was before hair dye. But you still can't do it permanently. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. <laughs> Time out for a second. Do you realize how harsh that is? Anything else comes from the evil one. Like he's not saying it's a bad idea. He's not saying even it's foolish. He's saying anything else comes from Satan. I don't think Jesus was popular at birthday parties. You know what I mean? He's just the kind of guy, like you got, you, you didn't get this, you know, from, you got this from the devil. That's where that came from. Man, he, it, this is pretty heavy. As a child, I had the opportunity to grow up in a neighborhood where the kids kind of ran, you know, ran the neighborhood. Anybody grow up like that? Ride your bikes on the street, you know, pick up, this is a little bit older school for some of you, pick up glass bottles and turn them in and you get enough, you buy, all that stuff, you know. But every now and then you'd run up on a kid in the neighborhood, some of you remember this, and, and that kid would tell you something and you'd look at him and go, hmm, that can't be true. Like, that can't be true. And, and whenever you caught them, they would have one hand behind their back. Anybody know what they were doing? Crossing their fingers, right? And they'd say, I got you, crossing my fingers. So we all knew it was okay to lie as long as you cross your fingers, then it, was, then it was okay. The problem is, is we grow up and we carry adult versions of the fingers crossed behind our back 
into adulthood. It was, it was not surprising last week, but it was disappointing to learn about the scandal of the rich and famous who, who got their kids into colleges that they did not academically qualify for, you know, because they were rich and famous. I mean, that, that's frustrating. The problem is, though, those children who were nearly adults or adults when they went in grew up with the same moral code that it's okay to lie and cheat and steal and do whatever it takes to get what I think I want. I, I, I did find it interesting, too, if you've been following this story about the massage parlors in Florida, Robert Kraft, the um, uh, owner of the New England Patriots, his first statement was, um, you know, I absolutely, completely deny, you know, all, all charges or all accusations. And then he lawyered up. And then yesterday, I think, I don't know when the article was written, but yesterday I read an article that said, I'm very sorry. And so you went from, I, I did nothing, to I'm deeply sorry. I, I, I don't attempt to cast any judgment on Robert Kraft or I don't know him and, I, and I, I'm not pointing at him in that way. I'm just saying the problem is when we go through these layers of evolving uh, truth, then it makes you at the end look at the apology and say, mm, is that sincere? Are you sorry because you were caught? You know, what, what, what's going on here? What's really happening here? And so we tend to shade the truth and cheat and exaggerate and tax dodge and fail to keep our promises and make excuses and tell half-truths and white lies and whatever it takes. This is why when you go to court and you're sworn in, you're asked to tell the, the whole and nothing but the... Right, see? And, and we actually... Um, give our testimony under oath. So you see, that idea of oath has its roots here in Scripture. And this is what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 5. We tend to deceive at the lowest level possible to get away with what we want to do. Now the religious leaders of Jesus' day taught that the higher the thing was that you swore by, the more substantial the oath was that you were making. Or, let me say it another way, the closer to God the oath was, the more true it needed to be. So, like, like us, they had trouble telling the truth, so they would swear by everything but God, because they knew that that was the big one. Like, if you're going to drag God into this, that's the big oath that you're making, and only make that one if you really, 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 really mean it. Those were the heaviest oaths. On the other hand, though, they didn't want to just have an oath where either you swear by God or, or nothing uh, because they wanted their word to be taken seriously even when they weren't swearing by God. So they had these degrees of swearing they would do so that you would have different degrees of belief. They wanted to substantiate themselves and their word, but they didn't want to go all in. So this is what Jesus said to them, but I tell you, here, here's the example, do not swear an oath at all by heaven, that's God's throne, by earth, for it's his footstool, by Jerusalem. It's a, see, there's all these different things they would swear by. 
So they would swear by Jerusalem, they would swear by earth, they would swear by heaven, they would swear by the temple. There were even some places they would swear by the gold in the temple, which ironically was a higher oath than just swearing by the temple itself. So an oath became a sophisticated way to make impressive statements to gain the most credibility, but what it was really was a loophole. So this whole thing with legal loopholes isn't new. It's actually part of human nature. Can you imagine somebody saying, no, 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 no. I didn't swear by heaven. I just swore by earth. And when you think about it, that's dirt and rock. So like, that doesn't mean anything. And matter of fact, it doesn't even matter what I do because I only swore by earth. Can you imagine how these debates would go? Well, I'll see you, you know, two earths and I'll raise you an oath by the temple. How's that? You can imagine how this, confusing this guy. What was Jesus' answer to all of this carrying on? All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses take this verse so literally that oftentimes if a Jehovah's Witness goes to court, they will not take an oath. They refuse to take an oath because they're trying to fulfill the scripture literally. Now, I, I think that's kind of a legalistic reading of this. Jesus wasn't saying, do not take an oath <clears throat> or do not make a promise. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, do not take an oath with the intention of deceiving. In other words, don't say, you know, I promise, I promise, I'll keep my word, I'll do this. But you're only putting the weight of something behind it in order that you might be believed, but your intention all along is to deceive. So to, to take an oath in God's name was to take God's name in vain. Right? You know, I, I'll, I'll do this. I'll swear by the God of heaven and earth. And that was really to take God's name in vain if you were deceiving. Now, as a Christian, to not keep your word is a violation of God's character and is a form, is a form of deception. So really, for all of us believers, not keeping your word is taking God's name in vain because every word is, is, in a sense, the same. Every oath is, in a sense, the same. So what's the heart of the matter? We said a couple weeks ago that the heart behind murder was anger. Last week we said the heart behind um, adultery was lust. What's the heart behind breaking oaths? It's deception. So the heart of this statement is not what level of oath did you take. The heart of this statement is whether you took an oath or not, did you deceive? So really what Jesus is saying is, I don't care if you take an oath. Take an oath if you want to take an oath. It doesn't matter. Take a high oath, take a low oath, make a contract, don't make a contract, do a handshake, sign 40 pages of paperwork. Really doesn't matter. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Because all, all, all occasions of giving your word are actually equal. So what is a lie? Uh, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Look, I want to give you this disclaimer. I'm not saying this is in the Bible. I'm not saying this came from anybody, you know, who knows what they're talking about. I just made this up. All right, I'm telling you, I just straight made it up. Here's what I think a lie is. Here's how I understand a lie. Intentionally leaving someone with an impression that you know to be false. If you, if you do it unintentionally, it's not a lie because you, you didn't know you were doing it intentionally leaving someone with an impression that you knew was false. 
Now, most people would recognize not telling the truth is lying. I mean, most people kind of get that. Even, even if they're willing to do it, they still would say, well, yeah, that was a lie. That wasn't the truth. But what about telling the truth in a deceptive way? What about using the truth in a way to mislead someone to believe something that you know is not true? The question is, did you use factual information in such a way to mislead someone from the truth? This is exactly what Satan did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Let me show you in Genesis chapter 3. This is Satan speaking. He said to Adam and Eve, he's trying to talk them into eating the fruit that they shouldn't eat. And here's what he says. For God knows that when you eat from it, this fruit he said don't eat from, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now here's a question. Were their eyes opened? Yes. Their eyes were open. That was true. Did they now know good from evil, good and evil? Yes. Were they like God in that they knew good from evil? Yes. Did Satan use the truth to deceive them? Yes. The most difficult lies to discern are the ones that contain partial truth. And this is what Satan did to the first humans. He deceived them by giving them some truth, but using it in a way that misleads them. And this is why deception does great damage to all types of relationship because trust is broken. The most basic foundation of all relationship is trust. And when you lie, when you deceive, you break trust. And therefore, you begin to break relationship. As long as I've been a parent, I've taught my kids one of the worst sins that you can ever commit is to lie and deceive. And here's why I believe that. Because you and I are never more like Satan than when we lie and deceive. That's why Jesus said to these religious leaders, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else is from the devil. Because when you move into deception and when you move in lying, you're moving Satan's way, you're not moving God's way, and you're becoming more like Satan and less like Jesus. And Jesus made an even bolder statement about it in John chapter 8, 44. He's speaking to the religious leaders again, and listen to what he told them. He said, you belong to your father, the devil. <laughs> Jesus was tough. You're like, who spilled his milk? Man, he, he, he's just roasting these guys. You belong to your father, the devil. Now, why would he say that their father was the devil? And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Did they murder? Yes, they murdered him. They murdered Jesus. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We live in such a broken culture, we actually expect people to lie to us. You turn on the TV and you look, you expect the politician to lie to you. 
You expect the, the news reporter or the, the, the specialist or the expert or whoever, we expect those in power, we expect those on the internet. Sometimes we even expect pastors or teachers or those in authority, our friends. Sometimes we even expect our own family to lie to us. And, 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 and it's like um, going in the backyard and seeing an old board laying in the grass that's been there for months. You flip it over and everything underneath it is just rotten. This is really a huge opportunity, though, I think, for Christians. If we'll see it that way, there, there'll rarely be a place that you and I can shine like a light in a dark world as we will in this culture if we'll keep our word. We will stand out and shine against the backdrop of a world that is losing its mind. But the only way you and I can do that is we have to first deal with the deceit that's in our own hearts. You have to come to a place that you can admit that you and I have the potential and have even at times practiced deceit. And when we can be honest about that, then we're able to, to, to address our own tendency to fudge a little and mislead and cut corners and tell part of the truth. So here's the real question this morning. How do we grow in integrity? Now, that, that's a, I really reflected for a while on this question. I think this is an interesting question because I don't think this is how we think about integrity and I don't think it's how we talk about integrity. We don't talk how do you grow in integrity. We talk about either you have it or you don't have it. Right? That's how we tend to think. Either you have integrity or you don't have integrity. If you don't have integrity, you'll never have integrity. If you had integrity and you lost it, you'll never have integrity again. And, and I think those, those absolute statements, those absolute bold lines are completely unhelpful and hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. When we draw those absolute lines, we put ourselves at risk. So the person, if you follow that thought, the person who has integrity then falsely feels safe. Well, I have integrity. And they can fall asleep at the wheel and be blindsided by something and lose their integrity because they have a false sense of safety. I have integrity. I've walked in integrity. I've been in integrity. And I'm, and I'm invincible. And they become weak. And, and, and then in a moment of weakness, they lose their integrity. Or, or they begin to confuse. People with integrity can to begin to confuse their reputation and people's perception of them with actual integrity. So the fact that you think I have integrity has absolutely nothing to do with whether I actually have integrity or not. You see the, the difference I'm saying? Whether I have integrity is, is actually an issue of the heart and it's actually a private issue and whether you think I do or don't could be true, could not be true. So if you have integrity, you can also fall asleep and begin to wrongly believe that people's opinion and perception of you is what integrity is. And that really has nothing to do with what integrity is. On the other hand, how discouraging it is to people who, who don't have integrity in some place in their life or have failed or maybe grown up in a way that they're broken, and they may get, be discouraged and say, well, I'm, I'm stuck. I'll never have integrity here. I'll never be able to walk in this way. And so what I just want to encourage you on is to think about integrity in a different way. Think about integrity as something that we can all grow in 
and something we all need to grow in. And when you think about it that way, now we have an ability to take steps forward toward Jesus and and to work this out. So this morning, um, let me give you a few ways to grow in integrity. If you have something to write with, I'd really encourage you to write these down. Number one, practice integrity with God. So the best way I know to grow at anything is practice, right? So practice integrity with God. How do you practice integrity with God? Well, it starts by meeting with Him. The Bible says that Jesus oftentimes withdrew to quiet places so He could pray. Spending time with God will do a world of good for your soul. And you can practice integrity with God, you know, by being with Him. Another way you can do it is uh, by by hearing the truth. What I mean by that is just, just embrace a very simple, basic plan to read. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you read. I think what's actually more important is how often you read. A little bit every day is much better than a lot for a week and none for six months. So find a little plan of some kind to read, because the Bible is truth. And as you hear that truth and plant that truth in your mind and your heart, it will take root, and you you will find yourself walking in greater and greater integrity with God. So spend time with God Hear the truth, read the Bible. And then, and then here's one that you might not have thought of. Tell God the truth about how you feel. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. If you, if you really want to read startling scripture, read Jeremiah 27 through the end of the chapter. It is unbelievable that God would even allow this to be written in the Bible. But we have a guy named Jeremiah who had some complaints about God and wanted to tell God how he felt because he was going through a hard time. And I'm telling you, these complaints are so raw and they're so hard to even hear that you go, how did God allow that in the Bible? Like somebody else might actually repeat that. We don't want anybody to ever repeat that. Why would he do that? But, but, I, but I just want you to hear them from Jeremiah. And, and there's no indication in Scripture that God judged Jeremiah or was harsh on him. God actually helped Jeremiah work through them. Just listen to this, Jeremiah 27 and 8, verse 7. You deceived me, Lord. Just time out for a minute. Did he just call God a liar? Isn't that what the whole sermon is about? He just called God a liar. You tricked me. You deceived me. You lied. Man, I'd be afraid a lightning bolt would come and just, you know, jar you. And then he says, listen, and he says, and I was deceived. Hey, it worked. I hope you're happy. It worked. You lied to me, and I bought it. You overpowered me, and you prevailed. 
I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach. I'm doing my best to live for you. And if I'm honest with you, my life is worse off today than it was the day I started serving you. Now that's tough medicine, right? It's in the Bible. I'll go further. If you have time to read the rest of this, you'll get to the bottom. And Jeremiah is so mad. He's so frustrated. I mean, he's saying, I wish that someone would have aborted me in my mother's womb. That's what he said. You think you've had a bad day. This guy's mad. And he's pointing it toward God. I wish, and then he actually curses the day he was born. This is a prophet. What chance do the rest of us have? Here's what I want you to see, though. It's okay. It's okay to tell God the truth about how you feel. Because when you take the risk of telling God the truth about how you feel, you are walking in integrity with God. And then He can begin to help you unpack now how did we get here and how do we move forward and how do you heal and how do you grow and where do we go from this moment tell God the truth about how you feel also tell God the truth about your sins and your failures and your mistakes now this takes self-examination and reflection right I went through about a seven-year period in my life where, where I journaled three, three or four or five days a week, and, and I didn't understand. I just did it because I heard somebody did it, and I thought, I'll try that, and it stuck for seven years. And, and I journal occasionally now, but I, but I learned one of the great things you get out of it is a, if a, is a self-examined life. And so then you begin to not just consume the next day and just run through it, but you begin to reflect back on the last 24 hours, yesterday, last week, and you begin to say, okay, now what happened? And man, I've had to write some painful things in my journal. Like, I really had no right to say what I just said. And through journaling, I've gone back and apologized to people. And, and sometimes you write things like, you know, what I told that person yesterday wasn't exactly the truth. So God, I confess today to you that I lied. And I guess then I confess to you that I'm a liar. And God, I don't want to be a liar. So would you please help me? But see, when you begin to tell God the truth about you, you begin to walk in integrity with God. And God can help you walk out of it. If we can't be honest with God, we're never going to be honest with anybody else. So it starts there. Number two, practice integrity with yourself. Be honest about your own limitations. There's one God and you're not Him. You were not made to have it all, to do it all, or to be it all. So what kind of limitations might we begin to think about. When you live within your limitations, you're practicing integrity with yourself. 
When you live outside your limitations, you're violating that personal integrity. So what are some areas of integrity we think about? Spiritual limits. Do you know your spiritual limitations and do you live within them? Do you try to be something you're not? Do you try to move into a level of maturity in Christ you don't have yet? Now, here's one we usually think about. What about physical limitations? You know, we always hear people say, oh, I hurt my back. How'd you? Well, I was picking up a car, you know. I don't know why I did that, but I picked up a car. You're like, why did you? I don't know what I was thinking. I know what you were thinking. You were thinking beyond your limitations. And when you did it, you hurt yourself. And when you and I move beyond our limitations, we always hurt ourselves. So it's very important that we know. What about responsibility? How many of you ever take on more responsibility than you should? Come on, all the truth tellers, raise your hand. Everybody else can lie. Right? Everybody's done it. And when you do it, you violate personal integrity. What about ethical and moral limits? Do you, you ever tempted to move beyond your ethical or, or limits of your own conscience? What about time limits? You ever try to get more done than you should? You honor those limits. What about financial limits? Oh, Jesus, come on, talk to us today. Credit card debt is soaring. Why? Because people continue to try to live beyond their limits. And that's where integrity breaks down. Uh, here's another one that maybe we don't often think of in this regard, but it's honoring the Sabbath. Mark 2.27 says, Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What does that mean? God appointed a day of rest once a week for all of us. When we ignore that day, we violate our own personal integrity. We do not practice integrity. Now, look, a lot of people are confused about this. They think, oh, God gave me this. I've, I've got I've to follow this ritual. I've got to follow this law. I've got to follow this rule. And, and what Jesus says in Matthew, Mark 2 is, I didn't, I didn't make you for the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath for you because you need it. And when you stop and rest and worship one day a week, what you're declaring to the world is you're not God and, and working God's way, you can get more done in six days than anybody else can in seven because you're living life God's way, not your own way. Now here's the last one. Practice integrity with God, with yourself. Practice integrity with those closest to you. For those of you who are married, I would say that definitely begins in your marriage. Jesus has given us a wonderful and mysterious revelation of himself, and it's in marriage. Here's how he does it. Ephesians 5, if you want to read that chapter, Jesus says, Paul the Apostle writing says, that um, husband and wife are a picture of Jesus in the church. And so when you walk in integrity with those, when you walk in integrity with your spouse, when you have a healthy and a flourishing relationship, you give your children and your neighbors and those around you a revelation of Jesus. They see something in that union that is incredible. When, when Stacy and I first married, you know, as you're a young married couple, you're always trying to work out how you're going to do everything now. And we were trying to figure out how we're going to communicate. And we found ourselves saying, 
you know, is this true? Or are you really going to be there? Are you really going to fall through? And, you know, do you promise? Do you promise? And, I, and early in our marriage, I don't know, maybe we'd been married a year or so. We got together and said, wait, what are we doing? Why do we have two categories of truth? The one we promise on and then the one we just say. Why, why, why do we do that? Let's don't do that anymore. And so we made an agreement. We said we're never, we're never going to make another promise to each other as long as we live. What we are going to do is we are going to tell each other the truth. And that's going to be it. If we say it, it's true. If we don't, it's not. That's it. And, and, I, and boy, after these years of marriage, I can tell you, she and I have been through a lot. And we've had some, even some real tough truths to tell each other. But I can tell you this, I wouldn't change a thing. I would do it all the exact same way because, as Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And that just plain, kind, loving, honest, gracious truth has been a wellspring of life for us. And it's helped us through so many things. So you have to take time to develop those honest and spiritual relationships in your life. We, we tend to push people away who tell us the truth, right? Because it, it, it gouges us. It rubs us wrong. We don't, who's that guy? Who she thinks she is? Why does she come up with that? What you need to ask yourself is, is it true? And if you find someone in your life who will tell you the truth in the right way, embrace them. Don't push them away. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, people who are out to do you harm will tell you whatever you want to know. But people who are true friends might hurt you with the truth, but they're going to stick with you no matter what. Embrace them. Sometimes God's put people in our life and He sent them there to help us, but we push them away because they make us uncomfortable. But I'm saying, if you want to practice integrity with those around you, embrace those people. When I was a teenager, uh, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian environment. And when I first met Jesus at 15 years old, man, I had all kind of baggage and stuff to work through. And, uh, and, and I was trying to decide, I was torn between this lifestyle and the Christian lifestyle and which way am I going to go and what am I going to believe and what am I going to do and man, it, 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 it buckled up it became a point of such conflict in my spirit and such conflict in my mind it was absolutely confusing I'm, I mean that, it was overwhelming and I remember one night we had a prayer time at our church and, and I went and there were some steps kind of like these but sort of around the back and I went around kind of that side thing was a wall there and I went and kind of hid and I'm just and I only been a believer for like a year I wasn't I wasn't praying out loud I didn't I didn't know anything about that I was just in my soul grieving with God saying God I don't know which way I should go I don't know what to do I don't know if this is right or that is right there's so many things I've been taught as a child that I think now are wrong and I'm just confused I'm just so confused and in my own soul I was just saying God please help me know what the truth is because I'm, I'm, this is a burden. It's crushing me. And um, this, this old, old guy, this old man, I didn't see him because I never turned and looked. I was just bowing. 
he came behind me and he put his hand on my shoulder. Now remember, I, I'm not praying out loud. I'm not even whispering. He put his hand on my shoulder and he began to pray for me. And he said, God, I pray that you would reveal the truth. I pray that you'd help my friend here to find the truth, to know the truth, that you'd reveal your ways to him. And everything he prayed for the next few minutes was all, and, and, I, and I just stopped. Like it, it, like it, just, it just arrested me. Because I went, how does, he, how does he know that? And when our prayer time was over, I, I got up and I turned around and looked, and I didn't recognize him. I'd never seen him before that I knew of. And, and I don't remember ever seeing him again. Now, here's all I know for sure. In that moment, God spoke through the gifts of the Spirit to that man, through that man, to my heart, and basically, with a gentle touch on the shoulder, said, I, I'll, God, I'll answer your prayer. I'll lead you and I'll guide you. You know, we live in such confusing times. I can hardly think of a better prayer or a better desire in our heart than God show me the truth. Show me the truth. God, just all these voices and all these opinions and all this information coming at us at a million miles an hour, God, just show me the truth. So this morning, that's what I want us to pray about. Would you stand with me today? And I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come. If you'd find a place that you could just stand, stand quietly. And if you'd close your eyes and just open your heart. Maybe today you say, you know, I've got a decision to make. I've got a, I've got a direction I, I need to go. But I, but I don't know. Can I tell you, clarity is one of the most difficult things to find in our age because everything is so muddy but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth and Jesus is the greatest revelation of that truth so today if you, if you need clarity, if you need wisdom if you need direction I don't know where you are in your walk with God but if you know you need those things, any of those things, in a minute as we pray, I'm going to ask you to find one of the prayer team and just go to them and say, you know, would you pray with me that God's going to give me wisdom? Would you pray with me that God's going to make, make what I need to do now clear or give me direction? And, and, and maybe today you're, you're far away from God. Man, this is a great prayer for you to pray today to just say, God... If you're true, if you're real, if you care, God, I'm asking you to show me the truth today. So I, I want to specifically invite you, when we come for prayer in a minute, if that's you, you're far away from God, you, you just nobody's going to judge you, nobody's going to embarrass you. You just find somebody on the prayer team and just say, would you just pray with me that God's going to show me the truth? And that's how my, my whole relationship with God really started. And maybe you're here today and you just need a touch from God. Well, the last couple of weeks, we've been absolutely inundated with people just struggling and suffering and going through all kinds of sickness. And so I just want to invite you, if you need a touch from God today for anything, as we pray, I want you to, I want you to come for prayer this morning. So I'm going to begin to pray. And as I do, if you need prayer today, I just want you to come now and find one of the prayer team. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning 
that you would draw every person that needs prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd draw every person that needs a touch from you today. So as I'm praying, I want you to come right now. Lord, I thank you for the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I thank you that the presence of God is what changes our life. And I pray today as we come and meet with you, bring our burdens, bring our questions, bring our concerns, bring our fears. Lord, I pray today that you would minister your presence and your power and your grace. Lord, I pray today that you would reveal Jesus, that we would see you clearer and know you better. God, I pray for the one who's far from you, that you would just connect with them today and strengthen. Would, would you just sing this song with us a few times? Come on, worship team, and, and just lead us this morning. Jesus, we love Thank you for being here. Have a great spring break.